Welcome, everybody, and uh, delighted, as always, to have you all uh, tuning in wherever you may be, be it uh, on the podcast or um, on uh, on YouTube. And uh, today I've managed to pin down the uh, awesome, wonderful and brilliant uh, Andy Culligan, who describes himself as the fractional CMO, dipping the toe in the CRO water, so that's Chief Revenue Officer, uh, salesperson stuck in a marketer's body. Is that even uh, possible? Apparently he talks about SDRs, sales development reps, uh, tech, sales, MarTech, and uh, marketing. And he's just launched uh, andyculligan.com. So it's not coming soon anymore, Andy, is it? It's uh, it's, it's here and it's, uh, uh, it's live. Um, I always start with the who, the what, the why, and the and the when, and then let's uh, let's get into this around uh, the importance from Andy's perspective in terms of why sales and marketing need to be joined at the the hip, and dare I say it, maybe why I know this is very much your passion, Andy. Why marketing now needs to be seen more as a revenue machine, but let's start with uh, let's start with your story. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for that lovely intro as well. And now we're not coming soon. We're here to stay. <laughs> so I laugh because every time I meet Alex, he always gives me pointers on my LinkedIn profile. I always find something wrong. So he, he didn't didn't shy away from that today either. So thanks, Alex. He found my LinkedIn banner was incorrect. So yeah, I need to get that updated. But but yeah, no. So I've uh, as as you mentioned, like I've I've been in the SaaS space now for a number of years, like almost a decade now at this point, and. Um, yeah, I've got different companies. Like I've I've been a senior senior leader senior leadership roles in marketing. I've been in like I started really as a somebody that was focused on lead gen. I had a lot of experience in in email marketing and so on. Like my my story actually started in the tech space. It was interesting, right? So I was working I was working at a company um, that was not actually in the tech space. Completely different space altogether selling radio communications to government governmental organizations and public transport agencies and so on so like london bus was one of our largest mm -hmm. companies right so a very very old school industry that didn't move very quickly at all right and i was then i was brought on there to uh to do some like to, to basically manage their digital marketing and then also do some like events and so on mainly lead generation stuff but this was like they just purchased Marketo as one of Marketo's early customers. And I then became like the Marketo champion internally for this multinational, right? Which was super interesting because Marketo was like this tool that nobody knew how to use. And I was probably one of the only people in the country that I live in Austria. So I'm Irish, live in Austria. I was one of the only people in, in Austria that knew how to use a marketing automation platform for B2B. So that may, it was actually interesting just how it turned out. So then I'm, um, I, I ended up getting a job at a company called Amarsis that's just recently been acquired by SAP. But Amarsis, um, their CEO was like snooping up my LinkedIn profile and I was just so happening for looking for work. And I just, you know, asked him the question, why are you looking up my LinkedIn profile? And then two months later, I was working on Amarsis, right? So they, uh, they just received a huge round of funding uh, to go into the U.S., so um, at that point, they were probably on about 60 million ARR. So they weren't small, but they, mm -hmm. they were then looking to, to really to, 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 to go pretty big in the US. We, we, took, like, uh, we took the team to the US, seeing that like, I, I learned a lot of things not to do when you go launch in the US, which is important, <laughs> which you have the luxury of being able to do when you have enough cash to be able to make those mistakes, right? So I, I was in a lucky position whereby I was able to, 
to play a little bit with the money that we that we've gotten and test out a lot of different marketing things, see what what does work, and most importantly, what doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then within a very short space of time, we'd completely changed the strategy again for the US. The, the office that was open in San Francisco was closed within three or four months. All the people that we hired were gone within those couple of months. Set up shop over in Indianapolis because uh, Exact Target had just been sold to Salesforce. So we took all of the Exact Target employees on board it, and, and Amarsis just grew from there. So from there on in, I actually then started building a team along with the new CMO and became like the global head of demand gen, right? Did that for a number of years, then went to a company called Exponia, which was a really small player in the space. It was about 4 million ARR when I joined, direct competitor of of Amarsis, Mm -hmm. which as you can understand, went down like a cup of cold sick with the guys at Amarsis. But but yeah, it was was a good opportunity for me to build out the global marketing effort there. Did that for a number of years. We, We grew the revenue from... 4 million up to up to close to 17 million when I was leaving. That was within two years, ARR. So very, very rapid growth. Uh, that was involved in both, um, both marketing and SDRs. So mm-hmm. I had the SDR team working for me as well um, under the marketing team. And that mix of both of those working together worked out really, really well because like to ask you were you were, I know you're going to be asking me questions around sales and marketing alignment. It does start with the SDR because the if you have an SDR team, so people that people might be saying, what's an SDR? People call it a BDR as well. It's that junior salesperson that's typically on the phone. So mm-hmm. you you have people that are doing cold calling, they're doing cold outreach, maybe dealing with your inbound inquiries and so on, and they're the ones that are typically booking meetings then for the account executives, like yeah. your your senior salespeople, right? Um. And having that mix of marketing and SDR on the one made sure that anything that we were bringing in, like if we were spending massive amounts of money from a marketing perspective to get meaningful engagements or meaningful touch points um, within our target base, right? That we would be, that I would be certain that it was going to get a good follow up. Mm -hmm. Because typically what you see is like you see this disconnect between marketing and sales because either marketing are doing a good job. And sales aren't really paying attention to it because they've got the blinkers on and they're just focused on closing or they're just focused on on just doing what they have to do in order to get stuff over the line. Or they could step back, take a little bit of time and understand what the marketing team are doing and really use it to their benefit. But if if you don't have anybody driving that effort and it's just marketing doing their thing, sales doing their thing, then you're going to be left with all this stuff in between. And basically what that means is you're left with a lot of leads that don't get followed up with. Mm-hmm. It's as simple as that. Like you, you just have lots of stuff falling through the cracks. So I just made sure that anything that we were bringing in from a marketing perspective was not like having this like like a leaky funnel, right? Like yep. that stuff wasn't falling through the falling through the cracks, right? And uh, by helping the SDR understand as well, like why are they doing this? Like why? Like what is marketing doing? Like where are these leads coming from? Like what does lead generation even mean? Right, like, like most people expect sales or SDRs to know what lead generation is. I'll let you in a secret. I didn't know what lead generation was when I was first starting out in marketing, and when I was first starting out as an SDR, I was an SDR already on my career. Like, I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Right? It means having an, a meaningful touch point or an engagement with somebody that could be potentially a piece of business for you in the future. And they say, oh, that's what that is. Mm-hmm. And then understanding that entire process and how they can then put themselves into that process and understand everything that marketing is doing is really beneficial. So that's why we've seen that rapid growth, right? Yeah. Um, and then more recently, 
uh, I went over to lead feeder, which was interesting for me as well, because having been a B2B marketer, B2B seller, um, I understood the value prop, understood like people listened to me in terms of being like a voice in the space as well, because I had the experience that was able to match with what we sold as in comparison to Exponia or Amarsis, they're B2B or B2C tools. So they're tools that are used by retailers, mm-hmm. by e-commerce, gambling, things like that. Whereas for me, I'd never really been in that space. I've always been a B2B marketer. So my message, although I understood it and was able to get a message that would resonate, I could really walk the walk and talk the talk uh, when it came to, to lead feeder, which was, which was great. So um, yeah, it was the CMO at lead feeder then for a number of years. Again, very rapid growth, especially during COVID times. We grew the revenue from, from about 4.5 million to about close to 11 million just before I left there in June of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where we got to know each other, Alex. Like, there's a yeah. huge, like, if you look for, for Andy Culligan and Lead Feeder, you'll probably find a lot of content. My real focus was trying to, uh, to create like a bit of a bit of hype around the brand and mm-hmm. um, get other people talking about lead feeder. So for example, like the stuff that we've done before, Alex was webinars and podcasts and different things from lead feeders perspective, did it also with a huge amount of influencers in the sales space. So people like Daniel Disney or Dale Dupree or Morgan Ingram and, and, and those types of guys, Aaron Ross, who wrote predictable revenue, just started doing a lot of content with those guys. And our message started to started to expand even more out to other markets that maybe hadn't heard of us before organically. So we had managed to cut our budgets completely whilst at the same time grow like exponentially at the same time, you know? So yeah. again, that sort of 4 million to just over 10 million before I left, that was um, really indicative of the, of the stuff that the team were doing there. You know, it was really just that type of marketing that was not like very, very salesy, right? It was not like, everything that we're trying that we're pushing out we do a webinar i'll quickly give like a give like an overview a lead feeder at the beginning and one at the end because nobody wants to see that shit like yeah. nobody wants to be on a demonar you know like everybody hates that so my thing was like provide value and then when people get the value they'll come back when they need you that's that was that's is my view of the world it still remains to be that view of the world mm-hmm. um and then in june of last year i decided that i wanted to to try my own thing so many different reasons. I had seen that as a that 10 million ARR was a good point for me to say, okay, look, this was being a big challenge. It was a, like it was crazy, crazy year, COVID and everything. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to try something myself. And uh, that's when I started anticulligan.com. And it it really just it started very quickly. I I I sort of said, hey, you know, I'll um, I'll start working with a couple of different companies and see how it pans out. And my plan was like, I'll work with a couple for a couple of months. And see, you know, maybe there's one of those that I want to go on full time with. We'll see how that goes. And then just the interest was just through the roof, really. Like uh, more and more companies were approaching me saying, hey, would you be interested in helping for this amount of time and so on? And I was like, okay, great. So I was like, there's something in this. So I just kept on pushing forward. And since July of last year, um, I've been working with five different tech companies. Uh, like I started started doing this in July. I launched my website yesterday. And we're now the whatever the tenth of January. So that that's the sign of how busy I've been to try to do that. But but um, but yeah, my my focus is really just uh, as you said, joining marketing and sales by the hip. 
just getting people executing. That's my number one focus is not coming in as a consultant and being like, well, you know, maybe, maybe take a look at X, Y, and Z and then disappear off into the wilderness. It's more like, okay, how can I help the teams do a bit of the heavy lifting so that they're able to go and actually execute and see results. Right. And um, that's where I try to specialize in. So my apologies for that massively long overview, Alex, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's me. <laughs> it's all right. I won't edit it out. I promise. Um, so, but in fairness, it's, it's the broad brush, right? You know, B2C, B2B um, experience. And I think, you know, what, what, what I've enjoyed working with you in, in the past, and it's, a, it's such a god-awful term, I think, value. And there was you know, someone in my feed posted just the other day that they were listening to a podcast around how to make seven figures. And there was absolutely no content in around how do you actually do this? It was kind of the... There was no, and to his point, there was no value in the podcast. There's nothing is around me, 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 not the how to do it. And what I've enjoyed working with you to the point of those webinars is that you were very keen that for the audience that, you know, you drill them to me, Alex, this isn't a sales pitch for you, but I want my audience to come away with actionable insights that they could implement straight away. And the other guests that, you know, you, you had on and I was on with them again, you were very much pushing them to give things or stuff or insight that the audience could actually start to put into practice today um, and then that will stick with them and it comes back to fundamentally the brand that is lead feeder helps me think differently about doing that thing and again you know bravo to you for admitting that you didn't know what lead generation meant so just kind of segueing on that, because there's a hell of a lot there to un unpack. Can we just kind of take a step back? And as I said, you know, what are we, it's being recorded on the 11th of January, 2022. Do you believe or do you feel this narrative that we're kind of seeing coming out from all the research analysts, I'm not going to name brands that are saying this, this disconnect or this gulf between sales and marketing is, has got worse do, do you feel that that's a fair assumption of what's happening in, and let's just focus on the SaaS world because that's your, uh, your world. Do you think it's as bad as, as we make it out to be, or is this as much trying to create headlines? I don't think it's gotten worse. I think it's just stayed the same, okay. to be honest with you. I like, um, so you mentioned the analysts. So the, I, I'll talk about the analysts that actually brought out a report. So, um, Gartner brought out, brought out a report where they interviewed, I don't know how many thousand different companies around their sales and marketing efforts and used some, used some metrics to figure out whether or not they were aligned. And they found this was, I think, the beginning of last year, maybe the end of the year, maybe the end of, maybe the end of 2020. Um, and uh, what they found was that only 8% of marketing and sales teams were aligned. So 8%, which is just ridiculous, yeah. right? <laughs> like, like you can look, you can look for the report itself. If you, if you, if you Google for Gartner report marketing sales alignment, you'll find it pretty quickly. But uh, there's some other key interesting stats from that as well around how much, how much, like what the, how much more velocity you have in your sales pipeline if marketing get involved. Like how quicker you can close deals, how many days it brings it down by, and so on. So interesting stats there as well, and how large, how much larger your pipeline opportunities will be if marketing and sales are working together. If it's driven by by marketing, for example, like interesting stats that actually impact the bottom line of the business, right? But to answer your question, like every company that I work with definitely has room for improvement mm -hmm. when it comes to sales and marketing alignment. It's very typical that I ask a marketer the question, hey, how often are you meeting with, with your sales counterpart? 
mm-hmm. and they say what do you mean I, and I say well how often is your like when was the last time you actually sat down with somebody from the sales team and they say well you know we had our sales kickoff where I was invited to back in uh, back in January of last mm-hmm. year and then we had maybe a meet up in summer so I guess that round then was the last time that I actually sit down and have a proper conversation with somebody from sales and that like to me is like completely unacceptable because us as marketers, like we're serving the sales team, right? Other marketers are looking at me now, like shooting me to throw darts at the, at the camera or at the screen, you know, <laughs> but realistically, like our job is to, is to make, make it easy, make it easier to sell. Right. Mm-hmm. We should be there as marketers to enable sales to get their foot in the door. Right. Like okay. I I've got something that I say quite often is, marketers open doors and sales close them mm-hmm. okay so like if those two things aren't working together they're working against one another almost because then you've got sales running off creating their own messaging and marketing and just getting pissed off at that and it's just it's not causing any good right mm-hmm. but um I'll, I'll i'll stop there but yeah marketing and sales is that the alignment is 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 missing like it's a big big gap so you've already started then to touch on the the how, so as as a CMO, I guess the first thing would be actually have at least regular dialogue with your 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 counter your counterparts, uh, you know, chief marketing officer, head of marketing, whatever the job title is, whoever your counterpart is in the sales function, you need to be meeting one, once a month, once a quarter minimum. I'm I'm guessing. No, like once a week. Once a week. Okay. So, so like I give you some examples because yeah. I just said like I like to be able to. Okay, this is how I do it. I don't know how other people are doing it. Well, I do, but this is how I do it, right? And um, I give you an example at Lead Feeder. Yako was the the chief revenue officer. Myself and Yako would check in with each other every single morning to make sure that both of us know what's happening on each other's sides of the fence, mm-hmm. right? Every day. Every day, that's how we operated. We managed to grow the business very nicely. So right? just pa- just let's pause there. So what, yeah. what exactly do you mean by knowing what's happening on each side of the each side so, of the fence? So for example, in that business, we were a volume business, yeah. right? So we would be looking at signups, okay? The number of signups that are coming in, how many of those are qualified and so on. We knew, we like we were very, very data focused that we knew if we had a bad day of signups, it would affect business in two, two or three weeks to come. Right. So. If we were seeing, for example, on his side that there's a quality issue on the sign-up levels, then I know that we're going to see an issue a couple of weeks down the line. He knew the same thing. So then we need to jump on that problem almost immediately in order to fix it to see, okay, like, is there something wrong somewhere in the marketing efforts that we're doing? Because we had a huge inbound strategy, right? Yeah. Same would go with... with like he would give me that feedback i would then go back to him and be like hey by the way i've been looking at the sales figures they're not managing to hit that that level of connects for example what's the problem tell me how can i learn from that like little little things like every single day we'd be going in and looking at things like pipeline isn't moving signups are they are they staying at an acceptable level qualified Mm -hmm. level of signups are they at an acceptable level because we knew in that volume business it's different in a in a in a, a large uh, average deal size business, it is different, and I'll get to that how I would handle that now in a moment. Yep. But on that volume business, one day of shitty inbound will result in one day of shitty sales closing within whatever your your uh, yep. your sales cycle is. Right now, um, 
I hope that did that cover that what we did. Is, it, yeah. is that clear? And if you're looking at it from a larger deal size perspective, so if you're if you're selling in the enterprise space, which mm-hmm. is typically where I'm working working now, the volume yeah. model is not my favorite. I prefer the, the enterprise model. And mm-hmm. um, my previous organizations, Exponia, Marsis, for example, all enterprise. And um, so if you're in that space, at Exponia, myself and Hugh, Hugh was the the VP of sales. We'd sit down once a week. We'd check in with each other every day, more mm-hmm. or less, just see how each other's doing, basically. Create like a good close contact and a good meaningful relationship, right? Yeah. But we, we would sit down for one hour every single Monday and review every single opportunity that would enter in the pipeline the previous week to yeah. make sure, A, is it real? B, is it, is it qualified enough? C, is the, is, the, is the value that's being put on that pipeline opportunity the right amount? And we would look at that because my my target was based on pipeline. His mm-hmm. target was based on closing, but as well as somewhat opening. But we we had like similar targets and we were working together to make sure that whatever was entering into a pipeline was clean to make sure that our conversion rate down the bottom of the pipeline wasn't completely shitty. Yeah. Right? So we were aiming for a 25% conversion rate and we were somewhere around 23, right? And we were just able to have that sort of like back and forth all the time to make sure that we're hitting those targets. That's what we would talk about on an hourly basis every, every single every single Monday. Every single Monday. And with regards to that, let's focus on the, on the enterprise for the, um, for the moment. So how attribution, how were you able to tie pipeline to the marketing activity? Okay, so attribution is the big, like big deal in every company. My thing is to not make a big deal out of it. Nobody right. gives a shit as long as you start, as long as you're creating pipeline and closing deals, mm-hmm. right? And uh, like that's 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 always where I'll start. If we're not closing, if we're not closing deals and we're not creating pipeline, then I'd be like, okay, it's it's an issue, right? Mm-hmm. Then I'd start to dig into individual channels and understand: Are you bringing in enough leads in order to get that? Like. Typically, if you are bringing enough leads and they're from the right companies, for example, and they're the right personas, then it's probably a, a, normally a problem in the follow-up that people are afraid of picking up the phones and they're not using like a multi-touch method in order to in order to yep. engage with the contact, right? But it, what the attribution question is, everybody's, oh, we need to do multi-touch attribution. It's like multi-touch attribution is like black box magic. Mm-hmm. Right? And when it comes to executive teams, they don't care. They just want to make sure that stuff is going in the right direction. They want to see the hockey stick, right? They want yep. to see everything going up to the right, okay? Now, from a marketing perspective, you could spend months and months and years and years and trying to come up with complex attribution models, um, whereas you could just come up with something very simple and just make sure that everybody's on board. For example, at Exponia, we came up with one, which was super simple. We came up with the same one on Amarsis. It was basically, where was the majority of our marketing spend going? Mm-hmm. Events. Okay, events is a very, very expensive thing to do. Yeah. And it's a face-to-face thing, right? They're typically the most the, the most successful marketing channel, if you want to look at it that way, because it enables salespeople to have FaceTime with prospects. Mm-hmm. And that's where you'll get probably get quite a few of your pipeline opportunities coming from. Okay. Now we would look at all of the interactions on new business opportunities in that week, right? That if we, as I said, with you, I was sitting down every week, we'd look at the experience leading up to there. So people have downloaded an ebook, they've been to an event or whatever, then the opportunity is open. And you'll say, yeah. okay, if they, were at an op- if they were at an event and there was some SDR activity on the account or sales activity onto the account, 
prior to the event, that wouldn't matter, right? The event would be the reason why that opportunity got opened. Okay. Okay. Because at the end of the day, the way that you say this with the salesperson is, hey, if we don't put the event in as something that we're able to gain pipeline from, that means that we may not be able to secure that budget for the next time that you want to go to that event. Mm-hmm. And they're like, whatever, I don't care where it comes from as long as, as long as I'm open and pipeline and stuff is being closed, right? Yeah. And as well as I'm able to have my marketing dollars. And this is where it's important where sales and marketing are speaking on the same page and that mm-hmm. you've got that sort of rapport with the salespeople. They're like, marketing are helping me here rather than hindering me, right? Yeah. Um, and if it's things like ebook downloads and things like that, I'd be like, Unless there's unless there's no activity on the account for a number for for quite a while, right? Six months, I think it was, and somebody comes and downloads an ebook, then I would say, okay, that's probably the ebook has probably driven the conversation. Therefore, the conversation has turned into an opportunity. It's probably that ebook that's actually caused that, right? So come up with an attribution model that suits your business, but don't overcomplicate it. Like that was super simple. Yeah. And like it, we we then just said, okay this particular channel or whatever where the ebook was being downloaded from was a successful channel. But at the end of the day, right, people, the problem is that I think some, the reality is that you're going to have numerous touch points in the lead up to any opportunity, especially when it's a hundred K deal size plus, right. Or whatever, 50 K deal size plus. Mm -hmm. Okay. However, pencil pushers and the, the the penny pinchers want to know exactly how many opportunities you're going to get from that 10k linkedin spend right yeah. so you have to be able to provide something because regardless of how much you say there's so many different touch points in the lead up to an opportunity being opened and so on it's still going to be like in one ear out the other with these people or just not listen to at all so you still need to be able to give someone okay for spending 10 grand on linkedin that means we're going to bring in x amount of leads by bringing in X amount of leads, we know that that's going to then bring us to X amount of sales qualified leads, X amount of, Y amount of sales qualified leads equals that amount of opportunities and so on pipeline. But the end of the day, I see those things as very budgetary questions and budgetary conversations, whereas the bigger picture should be what is the overall pipeline number that we're creating mm-hmm. and what are all of those initiatives and the sum of all of those initiatives in order to bring that pipeline number. Yeah. Right. Rather than focusing it on a, oh, only spend on LinkedIn because LinkedIn is going to be the channel that we're going to bring all the business from. It's not, it's never the case. Like you buy from numerous channels. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just not how we are. It's not how we operate. So again, long answer. Apologies. <laughs> no, no, it's, 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 it's not a long, long answer because it's a, it's a, it's a complex debate and it's a complex uh, question because you've already mentioned it. There's, there's the the tension between um, marketing in terms of what is marketing's role from broad brand awareness through to dare I say it top of rev top of funnel um, pipeline creation. You've got the recruitment side. You've got all different you know purpose. You've got you know ESG now in terms of in terms of that challenge, which I guess then comes back to and this is what i always say from when i'm talking about digital or social selling what what is the outcome you're trying to achieve and then work backwards from that end goal to understand what inputs you need at the front end top end either from sales or marketing to to uh, achieve that what i'm hearing is that you have always you've based your decisions on a building that relationship with your um your sales counterpart 
but B, data and insight to start to make some, some decisions um, and you mentioned in the past, and you made mistakes, and you made mistakes or not what to do. And I want to pick up that on, pick up that, pick up on that in in a minute. But how sophisticated does one's Martech stack or sales tech stack or the integration between the two need to be to be able to start to achieve parking the relationship between sales and marketing at a human level? How sophisticated does the stack need to be to be able to start to give you some of that? insight to be able to make some vague <laughs> decisions or inferences as to what's going on on both sides of the uh, the coin sure i mean um it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be in any way sophisticated really it depends so uh, i i'm not I, i'm going to try to get as as detailed as possible but it, i i i give a vague answer like as a very short answer now it depends on like how much resource and effort that you're able to give at it, right? Mm -hmm. Like building a MarTech stack is a difficult thing to do, okay? And at the end of the day, it's building a MarTech stack isn't driving you results. And typically, like, it's it will drive results eventually, mm -hmm. hopefully, uh, but at the same time, you still need to be, you still need to be flying the plane and fixing the plane at the same time. So I try to keep it as simple as possible, right? Yeah. So a couple of areas that I would look at. So first of all, you need a CRM. Okay, yeah. so every everybody needs a CRM. Um, like there's this. My brother just texted me before this, being like, "Oh, we we're using XYZ CRM. I'm not going to name any names, but we're using this particular CRM at the moment. But our head of sales wants to move to this other CRM because this CRM that we're currently on is not tracking leads very effectively. Right? Mm -hmm. It's not for their their the way that they do leads isn't great. Whereas this other one might be okay." Mm -hmm. So, like, it, both of those are cheap CRMs. Yeah. Cheap is cheap. You yeah. know, like, you, you get what you pay for, really, right? So, with, when you're focusing on a CRM and you want to be growing your business, what I have found is that if you base uh, your CRM decision, like which CRM you go with based off how they structure their records, okay? If they structure their records based off of accounts, contacts, and leads, rather than basing their entire record hierarchy based off opportunities, i.e. pipeline, mm -hmm. then they're going to be better at managing leads, right? Mm -hmm. So let me, let me explain what I mean by that. Salesforce, as an example. Now, I'm not telling you to go out and buy Salesforce, but Salesforce is is probably the best CRM on the market. It's the best CRM I've ever used, mm -hmm. okay? And I've used quite a few. CRM is, is by, or a, a Salesforce is by far the, mo the most expensive probably, but it's the most expensive because it's the best and they know they're the best, mm -hmm. right? Now, Salesforce CRM is built in such a way that all of the, all of the contact records are built around account, contact, and lead, okay? It all starts with the account, contact, Tax are under the account. And then leads are this thing out here. Once you convert a lead, it goes onto a contact and then it's all under the account, which makes mm -hmm. it really simple from a reporting perspective, right? Under the account, you've also got opportunities, okay? Then that keeps everything very nicely in this sort of house, right? If you want to put it that way, or a very nice bucket to be able to report off of and be able to follow up with leads. Quite simple. Lead comes into the system. Is it part of an account or is there an account existing for that specific lead? If yes, salesperson converts it, adds it to their account, and then it shows you from marketing, hey, that's a sales qualified lead, 
right? Because they converted, added to a sales qualified account, you know, quite simple to follow up with that. Yep. Based on that account that has a sales qualified lead against it, has an opportunity been opened? Yes. Okay, an opportunity has been opened. Therefore, I can say that opportunity may have been influenced by the marketing lead that's come in, right? Now, other systems work like this. Everything that comes in starts as an opportunity. It comes in as a deal, yeah. not as an individual, not as a company, not as a lead, not as a contact, as a deal, i.e. an opportunity. And then everything else is under the opportunity in this sort of like afterthought when it was built. So initially they were built, these CRMs were built initially to give salespeople a good overview of their pipeline. But everything prior to when something enters in the pipeline is living, right? Yeah. And I think Salesforce and HubSpot are the ones that have built that correctly. So if I was going after a CRM, I would say probably right now, based on if knowing that I don't have that much to spend, if I'm starting off on that journey, I would start with HubSpot. Eventually, that would then enable me from a sales and marketing perspective to be able to have like their entire suite. So from sales, you've got cadencing, which is mainly emails and so on that you can send mm -hmm. directly from the tool. You can manage all of your leads and everything in there from a sales perspective. Um, from a marketing perspective, then you've got all your landing page build, emails, uh, LinkedIn ads, all of that stuff can be run directly from there. Um, all of your reporting and everything can be run directly from there. All of your deal management from a sales perspective can be kept in there. Super simple. Like a lot of startups that I would work with are using HubSpot as their yep. primary CRM and marketing automation platform. The great thing about HubSpot is eventually, if you outgrow it, which nowadays is quite hard to do actually, you can also use Salesforce as a sales CRM mm -hmm. and both of those products work seamlessly together. Um, the connection between Salesforce and HubSpot's immense. Like it's really, really good. So if you've got the feeling, oh shit, we still need to have a really like in-depth sales um, CRM, like Salesforce where we want to go, but we're not quite ready for it. Start with HubSpot and then get Salesforce later, right? Now, other things from a sales and marketing perspective, you could be using... Like if you can't afford any of that, you should start with like free tools, right? There's free CRMs out there. Start with it. You have to use something, right? But as I said, try to look around for something that's built off of that contacts, accounts, leads as the top, top line hierarchy rather than deals or pipeline, right? Now, there's other tools you can use. Lead Feeder, for example, is a great tool, very, very cheap. Right. Yeah. I don't work for Lead Feeder anymore. I'm not being paid to say this, but Lead Feeder is a really good tool for anybody that's looking to see which companies are visiting their website, which pages they're looking at, how many people from that company have visited, and so on. Right. It's super, super simple to use. Salespeople, every salesperson that I work with now uses Lead Feeder and gives them good intelligence. Mm -hmm. And one specific company where I'm working with at the moment, I've managed to, to create a, a, a very, very large opportunity. Off, uh, off the back of the data that they were seeing in Salesforce, or not in Salesforce, sorry, in, in Leadfeeder. Yeah. Um, and it was, without Leadfeeder, we wouldn't have known that anybody from that company was visiting the site. Yeah. Because they didn't fill any forms. They, 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 they didn't contact us. They didn't do anything. We've seen, though, that they were looking at the website. There was about over 100 page views on the site from that one company yeah. over, a, over a three or four-month time frame. What was happening was they were searching out the market for that specific type of solution. And then we, at the same time, were also reaching out to them because we could see, hey, there's a lot of activity coming from that company. And then they managed to, then we managed to book, book a meeting 
And then off the back of that meeting, we've managed to create like a 150k opportunity, which is looking very solid. So, and I think if we just just pause on 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 that point, that for me highlights the importance of the relationship between sales and marketing, because marketing needs to understand what sales is doing, and sales needs to understand what marketing is doing. And then if you're able to be led by data. Because, you know, intent is always a, you know, there's a big topic of debate around that. But, you know, 100 page views over a period of time, you're going to be able to make some <laughs> some um, pretty educated guesses as to what's uh, as to what's going on. But if that relationship didn't exist between sales and marketing in the first place to kind of share that information and or sales didn't understand why that was why those signals are important. And back to your earlier point, Andy, around marketing, understanding what lead generation means that even with that data without that relationship that opportunity could well have been missed would have been missed yeah 100 100 like you need to you need to teach people like what is this data actually showing you like yeah one of the things that was overwhelming for me when i first came to the tech space was like i've got so much data but i don't know what any of it means yeah right there's another like really good thing that i that like a tip that uh costs you nothing well it costs you something but it costs you nothing to have the data right so um if you're if you're using linkedin uh from an ads perspective yeah what i typically do is is download or take screenshots of all of the companies which are being served my ads yeah right and how many impressions are being served onto each of those different companies and then i hand that over to the sales team to sdrs and say hey by the way did you know like that thousands of people from this company have seen us on LinkedIn. And instead of them picking up the phone and being like, hey, this is Andy calling from andyculligan.com and you get the, the who from where, you know, <laughs> you might get the, oh yeah, I've seen some of your stuff on LinkedIn. You know, and that's the difference. And, and the SDRs appreciate that. They're like, shit, I didn't even know this existed, this information. Yeah. This is amazing. You know, and that doesn't cost you anything to have that apart from the ad spend, clearly. But um, to, have that, to, to have that level of demographic information on your LinkedIn campaigns is awesome because you just give it across the sales team, anything that's got hundreds of thousands of impressions on, start picking up the phones to them because it's like yeah. this two waves, right? Of, of marketing are coming this way, sales are coming this way, right? So. Absolutely, and, I, and, and that, and, and I'm gonna pick you up on this and you, you mentioned at the beginning, you see marketing is serving sales. I feel the word service is wrong because it, 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 it signals to me kind of almost up, you know, upstairs, downstairs, Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey-esque type of subservient, subservient role. And I don't believe that is the case, that the two need to work in, in parallel. It's not about, they're all, you're almost serving, you're serving each other to achieve your, your end goal, which, you know, comes back to how you describe yourself in terms of, you know, wanting to turn marketing into, into a revenue engine. And for me, I believe that's that's part of this. Is shifting, is shifting kind of what marketing's KPIs are, if you will, beyond just clicks and views and visits and impressions. Because again, your earlier point around the the, the exec, a don't understand what that means or really necessarily care. They're wowed by big numbers, and you know. I reflect on a story back in my previous life in my in the world of real estate where they did a video on on YouTube. It was the most viewed video in the real estate sector with over three hundred thousand um views on YouTube. My first question to the marketing team was, "Where are the leads?" And they went, "Oh no, that's not what we were doing." And I was like, "What? What, what was the point in creating that video 
those 300,000 views could be students, they could be Russian bots, but you know, the exec was celebrating, well, 300,000 views on, uh, on YouTube. And I'm like, okay, I, I get that. That's an important from a brand perspective, fully respect and understand that. But hang on a second, surely this is supposed to drive then conversations with potential clients or even existing clients around, hey, I didn't know you do that, that design and build service. That's really cool. Would love to have a conversation. But because marketing were being driven by a different um, agenda, maybe agenda is the right word, a different outcome, because they hadn't necessarily, we hadn't necessarily thought about, okay, by doing this, what could we do to help top of funnel? I believe a massive opportunity was, was missed, not only in terms of actually how much that cost to prove that generated pipeline, or even did it generate pipeline? Yeah, there's no way of proving that. I think, I, th I think the thing with that is there needs to be a certain amount of, like it, there needs to be a balance yeah. between that. Like you've mentioned brand a couple of times. Like if you had to ask Andy from five, six years ago, hey, you know, what would you, should we, should we do brands? Like, no, you can't measure it. Just, you know, just, just leads, 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 let's go. But um, what I found is that there needs to be somewhat of a balance. But I will say at the same time that um, that lead generation stuff, like and demand and uh, brand stuff, actually go hand in hand. Okay. So if you create really good content, so for example, I, I did we did an ebook at, at Lead Feeder around ABM, and people started to people started to fall across it and be like, oh, this is this is really solid and people started using it then and talking about it. Right. Now that was really helpful for our brand. Okay. Um, and was, that the just pause there? was that gated or was that free to download? Gated. Gated. No, I gated. Like if I'm giving away something like that, I'm going to gate it. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, Oh, ungate content forever. And I'm like, that's not true. I was going to say something very bold, there. but that's <laughs> not something you should do. In my opinion, everybody's going to, all these, a lot of other people disagree with me here, but I still think that gating plays a big role in, in the overall strategy from a marketing perspective. People are going to, again, throw darts at the computer screen here at me saying this, other marketers, but I, I, I think that this, it still plays a role, right? And um, look at the webinars, for example, that we spoke about before at Lead Feeder. They were massive from a brand perspective because we were able to drive so much interest like we had like two and a half thousand registrations in the space of a couple of days because of yeah. just the amount of interest because the content was top notch right it wasn't our content it was other people's content it was like your content coming on to do a masterclass around linkedin and it was it was outbound masterclass all of this type of stuff the learning stuff right that helped massively with brand at the same time we were getting a shit ton of register excuse me French, a lot of registrations coming in which is leads right mm -hmm. Uh, it's 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 a gated thing. You can't just show up for a webinar without logging yep. in with an email address, right? And uh, like it, both of it, 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 the thing, the beauty with that was it was a, it was a mix of brand plus lead gen at in in one, right? Yeah. So like, although I see a place for some things from a brand perspective, I still think though that like you can still create quite a lot of brand presence by creating decent content which is providing value as you said before mm -hmm. whatever value is right but yep. by creating like actionable information that people can take away and do something with and gating it the problem is when you gate something that's just like just bogus content you know it's just yeah it's just content with fluff and you're just doing it to get an email address of course it's never going to work and i think you've that and i you know i flip-flop between gating and not gating i think to your to your point and this is um joe barron at cognizant 
there was written a, an interesting a good blog around this is that you gate it at the right point so you provide kind of breadcrumbs or tidbits of insight from that gated content over a period of time to then drive people to go you know what I've, I've read enough of the you know the stats of the insight that's actually of interest to me yes I'm prepared to transact with you and give you my email address because I already understand what I'm what I want. The, the, the challenge I have with gated content, this is more so probably, well, as you know, across all industries, is where you just see the front cover of a, of, a, of a report. You think, okay, that's interesting. And you want to learn more and there's nothing. You have to give your email straight out the gate before even understanding what is even in the report or the contents as to whether I actually want to, to do that. And to your point, of course, you know, webinars and all those kind of things is absolutely accepted that you need to... Um, uh, to give uh, to give um, uh, emails, uh, I'm conscious we're close to the 45. Andy, you still good to go? I'm still good to go. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, wow, there's so much. There's so much there. Let's then let's focus. Let's let's spend the next 15 minutes or so, and then we'll we'll wrap around um, mistakes. Because it's rare that you get people to admit they made mistakes. Now you said you had the the you fortunate you had kind of money to play with to to do that, but. Again, around that god awful term around you know, creating value, whatever that means to um, uh, to, to people, it's different things to different uh, people, of course. But what what were the things that you did which you wouldn't do again that still you feel is relevant or at least should be on CMOs, you know, CMOs radars? Yeah, uh, yeah. The one piece of the one piece of advice that I would give my younger self starting off in the tech space was if you had a if you had a gut feeling or a bad gut feeling about something, then there's probably a reason why. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I knew a couple of times that there was that uh, this doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem like a good investment. This doesn't seem like a good idea to do. Um, but I bit my tongue because my superiors at the time were, oh, we've got the experience in the tech space with San Fran, and we know what we're doing, and just do it. You know, this makes sense. I was okay. Well. Clearly, they must know what they're talking about, whereas I don't because I'm new to the space. So, you know, let's see. There was one specific campaign that I remember was it was in the early days of, of account-based marketing and we had just invested in Terminus without really thinking about it, right? There yeah. was, it was like, oh, Terminus, account-based marketing, we want to be a cutting edge. Um, let's pay like a rather large sum of cash to use Terminus, right? Um, without any sort of aligned account-based marketing like focus we were struggling from a lead gen perspective we weren't creating enough leads right there wasn't there was no alignment between the marketing and sales team there was and and the the number one focus of the of the of the team should have been lead gen and it was like okay let's put like i think it was like close to 100k or something into a terminus campaign which is essentially just display ads it was just all it was was display ads to companies that we wanted to do business with okay now complete disconnect because the company the superiors were looking at lead generation is a problem right yeah. we need more leads marketing team are let's do display ads yeah display ads like nobody has clicked on a display ad since 1993 do you know that like, you're not going to get any you're not going to get any performance out of that and that to me was like okay this is a pretty bit of pretty big learning right and it was just that was just not not something that, like we shouldn't have done it. Um, and I, I had a feeling at the time, so it doesn't seem right, but I just didn't open my mouth. I should have opened my mouth, right? Um, and then when it comes to, uh, to, to other mistakes that 
I've personally made like when hiring people, for example, like if, if you're at a, a SaaS company and you, you, you get a lot of cash to go scale, you need to scale pretty quickly. So that means you need to be doubling the size of your team in a very short space of time, which yeah. means that you need to be talking to a lot of different people and doing a lot of interviews and trying to suss out what's good, what's bad, right? Now, I've been on both sides, sales and marketing in, involved in those interviews, and we made a ton of bad hires. Like, I, I think in retrospect, the only way that you can know that you've made a bad hire or the only way you could sniff out a bad hire is by, um, by making the mistake. I don't think it's possible to to know prior unless it's very obvious yeah. that somebody's going to be a bad hire and that's incredibly incredibly difficult as well when it comes to hiring and sales and marketing positions in the us as well because coming from europe everybody in europe is typically a bit more like honest is the wrong word to use a bit more down to earth let's yeah. say when it comes to what's possible within a role okay when you go to the us though you will be sold the dream so if you ask for a 30, 60, 90 day plan from a sales or marketing person in the US, they will give you something incredible, which I know now I probably need to dial down to something like 60% of what they've promised and maybe 50% depending on the depending on the candidate. Whereas in Europe, you're probably going to be closer to that like 100%, maybe 90% of what they've promised they can probably deliver. Yeah. Cool. And that's a hard learning. If you're going into the US market, that's a very, very hard learning to have because that's just how they operate in business. Everything's big, everything's bold, you know? And if you're not used to that, then you'll make that mistake. And that's a core mistake that, that I've made that I've made with others when hiring people in the US, for example. Indeed. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to have to pause you there, Andy, because I'm looking at my other laptop. I need to be in another, <laughs> in another meeting. So, um, all right. Two big mistakes in terms of hiring and go with your uh, your uh, your gut feel. Oh, um, we could carry on with this for forever. Uh, Andy, I apologise. Just looked at my other laptop. People are going, um, where are you? We'll pause there. I think we can do this. Uh, we can do this again. But mate, always it's an absolute pleasure to um, to have you on. I'll put links to andycullen.com. People can find you on LinkedIn. I'll find that Gartner reporters uh, as well. Um, if you want to reach out to Andy, see how I can help you as a fractional CMO, please do. He knows. His he knows his stuff hopefully that podcast this podcast has proved it to you mate it's always an absolute uh, pleasure thank you so very much cheers Alex go run to that meeting mate take it easy yes. and see everybody you. thanks Bye. for tuning in and I'll see you on the flip side cheers